Hey guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to this week's No Limits, the Mitch Rap Podcast. How you doing this week, Mike? Oh, I'm so excited, Chris. I am so excited after reading the first third of this book. I am bursting at the seams to talk to you about it. Me too. It, it felt great to say Mitrap Podcast again. I guess we said it last week when we did our little uh, preamble leading up to the release of Oath of Loyalty. But yes, I, I guess let's let's go through some updates and then, then we'll dive into what we're covering today. So as you all know, we're back on our original feed, the Mitrap Podcast. You know, the fall is changing or the air is changing. It's getting a little cooler in the mornings. You know what that means? We get a new Mitrap book. New book. Uh, and Kyle has not disappointed so far no no and congrats to him on a very exciting publication day very recently awesome to see all the the praise that he's getting for this one yes and this will be coming out on the day of the release or the day after the release mike what do we decide well we're hoping this episode will be ready just around publication day and that gives you some time to finish it if you're a mitrap ambassador you probably already have So you can listen right away, but I guess, spoiler warning at the top, if you haven't read Oath of Loyalty, and in fact, also Enemy at the Gates, I don't know why you're here. We're happy to have you, but you're definitely going to want to hit pause. Although Chris, neither Chris nor I finished the book completely, and we did that intentionally. We are just covering chapters 1 through 15 today, the first roughly third of the book. It was jam-packed. There's so much to talk about, so... Yeah, I guess just a, a spoiler warning. Read Oath of Loyalty chapters 1 through 15. We know it just recently came out. And then come back to finish this episode. Yes. Congrats to Kyle. Uh, on our other two feeds, we're still live and kicking. We got uh, yes. the Scott Harbath pod. We'll be putting out Takedown probably towards the end of the month. Yeah, we gotta, We're going to wrap up Oath of Loyalty this uh, the beginning of the month and then go into Takedown at the end of the month. And then the Thriller Pod, we got a bunch of podcasts coming for you. We we recorded True Believer. We got we yes. got that coming. We uh, have a couple interviews coming your way. You know, we're staying busy, just giving you content for free. We love it. I loved our True Believer recordings. We've got a two-parter ready to come out to you guys in the next week or so. So definitely search No Limits, the Thriller Podcast, or visit thrillerpod.com. Really want to make sure you're subscribed over on the other feed. And, and don't miss out. I I really have been enjoying our Jack Carr kind of interlude that we're doing over there. Yeah, we got to do Savage Sun now. Uh, I got my uh, yes. father-in-law hooked on the series, so I, I gave him Terminal List when it came out, and he devoured that, watched the show. He likes the book better than the show. And of then course. I he's like, oh, he hadn't been reading on his Kindle in a long time, so I got him the Kindle book for True Believer, and he's he comes to me, he's like, this book is better than the first one. I was like, ooh. Right? It's up there. I, I it's was, right up there. It was, I was I was agreeing with him. So yeah, Special go guest. check out those. Special guest. Um, we got to have maybe Papa maybe Firm. Maybe I'll see if I can. Uh, no, not uh, like I said my father-in-law. The guy I'm living with. Oh, in-law, in-law. Hey, let's in-law. have him on as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you got to get your dad reading him though. He he loved this shit. I know. I know. He, he my my dad likes. I should probably do him the audiobooks. He he could probably do those. Mm. I want something to you know talk with him about next time we're golfing and slugging brews together. Speaking of golfing, we we gotta we gotta talk offline about golf. But anyways, <laughs> what we're here for today, Oath of Loyalty, and we kind of wanted to do something different. We um, I guess we haven't done this since the very beginning when we would break things up into thirds, and more recently we've been doing like we'll record the entire book in one long recording sesh, two two and a half, sometimes three hours, whatever, and then Mike will do his magic and, and splice it into two episodes. But here. We were reading it, and we want, one, we wanted to get out to you as quick as possible when the book releases, and two, that there's so much to talk about in the first part of this book. I get oh, yeah. as well as like because I had, I don't know I have kind of spoiled that I had listened to a little bit of the prelude when we did our um, reaction pod because we had gotten the the audio book version, so I wanted to listen to George's voice again, and you know just coming off the heels of enemy enemy at the gates, I feel like I want to sort of unpack that a little bit because we're put right back into the final chapters of that book and then get get running on this next one. So, yeah, yeah we're Oath of Loyalty, here to talk about it. I was just reading the first few chapters, and I wanted to pod right then and there. I, I mean, I, I 
I just wanted to talk about everything that was going on so badly. And then when we both concocted this plan to, you know, hit the pause button, chapter 15 seemed to make a clean break into a new storyline that seems to be coming up next. And so we were like, hey, what if we put it down? We record so far. That way, our thoughts on this half aren't necessarily colored by what comes later. And we could really deliberately talk about what we thought of the intro and how Kyle is starting this book off and doing something that's really hard to do, which is follow up Enemy at the Gates, uh, a controversial book, I think some would say. And so it's really critical that you open this one in a way that's so gripping that you are back on board with the story if Enemy at the Gates kind of threw you for a loop. And Oath of Loyalty, I think, absolutely does what it has to do to get everyone back into the story and invested in the characters and really keeping everything on the rails and keeping everything on track and with the series moving forward in in a unique way, in a totally different way. Definitely. Definitely. So do you, are you missing something? Do you have something for me? Well, I was just about to say, we can't talk about this book until I share my thoughts with you in the form of a limerick. There once was a paranoid president. Well, I don't know if that's true, actually. There's probably been quite a few paranoid presidents. <laughs> but anyway, in the Mitch Rapp universe, there once was a paranoid president. On getting Mitch Rapp, he is hellbent. But Kennedy makes a plea, allowing Mitch to flee. Can't wait for Anthony Cook's complete descent. Oh, yes. Can't wait for that. Hope that's coming. Notice I said Anthony Cook's descent i i don't know about you but Catherine cook who i always liked more as a character is she a little bit more i don't want to call it likable you know she's scum just like him but rational in a way that you can kind of accept you know she's kind of trying to slow down anthony cook as he spirals into paranoia and that's just one of the many complex dynamics going on in the first few chapters. I don't know if we want to start there, but did, were you a little bit more warming up to Catherine here than you than you thought you'd be? I definitely was. Well, what I think we're seeing is a different side of Anthony or Tony Cook um, in this book than what we saw in, in Enemy. He displayed like his, you know, what she mentions that he's stood for the entire time as, as governor of California, you know, this, this symbol, this rock, someone who can, you know, manipulate anybody and, but also like charm, charm and manipulate anybody. Right. Yeah. And we're starting to see some cracks in this facade and she's trying to, she ha- obviously has her eyes on the prize, wants to be, in, they want to be the cooks in office for what, 16 years. Right. And if they can help it, they're going to extend that even further. Whereas he's, you know, like has this obsession now with Mitch Rapp, right? And he's starting to break down. We not only do we get more insight into their relationship, but we also get some interesting characters that get, that get brought in. We get um the a new director of the CIA. Yeah. This uh Darren Hargraves who has an ultimate bromance like oh, leaning yeah. on uh, Kyle is suggesting that it's like more than a bromance, like an actual like you know, maybe even Tony is, is or, you know, Anthony is, is playing into this idea that he actually does love him. Hargrave does love him. And he mentions uh, it, but he calls him a disciple. I thought acolyte and disciple were two really keen words yes. to use there. Yes. We also get, oh, what's his name? The the guy that they place in charge of. Stephen Wright. Stephen CIA. Wright. No, yeah, the um, Secret yeah, Service uh, director. Secret Service head director. Yep. Yeah, the, this the the characters that are being installed around Anthony Cook. And so like this was all starting an oath, right? He was taking over the establishment, you know. He had just gotten to power. We're, we're seeing obviously he's had this long rise through the governorship, you know, through his life been able to tackle anything. And now he's really met his first, well, obviously he thought he had the upper hand in, in enemy, right? He, he had, he had turned Mitch's best friend on him yeah. and essentially had Mitch dead to rights, but it, you know, cause Mitch has friends in even higher places, a trillionaire, or should we say and Nicholas Ward yep. to help him out. That's the only reason why Mitch escapes. 
obviously we need to unpack the whole, you know, Mike Nash elephant in the room. Right. Um, but yeah, just that was very interesting. The relationship we're seeing with him. And I, I don't know if she's more likable, but she's definitely more grounded. I don't know. I can't help but draw the comparison to the Underwoods from House of Cards. You know, yeah, this yeah, yeah. idea of, you know, Claire being very, you know, she is the actual mastermind behind everything. Right. And ultimately it's, it's, you know, in the end, she's the one that gets to take the final power and, and he dies. I, I didn't mean likable. I didn't mean likable. I, I, I think you're right in describing more like a Claire Underwood. She's absolutely not likable, but the way she's written, she's kind of playing her role better than anybody else. Yes. I like yes. that. Yeah. Did you get, did you catch, there was one conversation where they had where he says he has a veiled, like, testing almost her loyalty. Yes. Like, it seems like everyone in this town, you know, is, is like, I wish I, had, uh, you know, I'm not good with quotes. You're, you're the one good with quotes. But like, and it was this very subtle line. And she even like, pick, you know, Kyle mentions that she picks up on it. Was that directed towards me? You know, it, are we going to see you know, some, some turmoil between them down the line. Is that going to break up? Is that going to be the ultimate, you know, cause of their demise? This, you know, the fact that he doesn't trust anybody now. He only trusts this Hargrave person. The seeds are there. You are, I think you're spot on. The seeds have been planted with very, very brilliant subtleties thrown in. That was just one of the many, it's not innuendo. I don't know what the device would be called, but the seeds are planted that there's this divide, and the divide is the president is spiraling into paranoia, which can only lead one way. You isolate yourself so much, you only surround your yourself with the people who are confirming you know, your bias confirmation and what you want to hear, beefing up the CIA to be his personal like spy agency on his enemies, beefing up the Secret Service, a ridiculous budget where he's just going to bunker down in the White House. And Catherine's thinking, like, the long-term effects this will have on their political capital. And there's this, I guess it's kind of metaphorical, but this brewing storm and the flooding right, and in and there's Carolina. an actual storm, right? Yeah. It's an actual storm and a metaphorical one. And she's like, he, my, my husband would be out in front of the cameras owning this opportunity, but he's a different person now. You know, he'd be out there handing out the, the diapers and the... Or moving sandbags. Trump would toss the paper towels into the crowd. But anyway, no, he would be like taking advantage of it from a savvy political point of view. And Catherine wants to ground the situation and say, we still need to do that for the country, not because she cares about the country, but she cares about being in power. And it seems like there's this split in their personal relationship over that, but in their professional roles as well. Where he doesn't care about the country, he cares about his own power, and she cares about their uh, power. I feel like he cares about his own life. He cares about himself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, and where she sees that, like your life is now, both his and her lives are are non important. You know, if you don't, ha- if you can't maintain this power, then it doesn't matter if we're still alive. Mm-hmm. Almost like it's like well, taking yeah. it even one step further, right? Exactly. I think he's just trying to preserve what power he has because he sees the future as bleak with Mitch Rapp, where she realizes politics can't you can't pause you can't pause and just stay in place she wants to extend the power so they both want power and they both want it for selfish reasons but he thinks they have to preserve what they have because Mitch Rapp can get after them meanwhile she still wants to play the long game and dominate the media dominate politics keep up the narrative to extend their power he wants to preserve it. She wants to extend it. And I think that that's causing a split. Like you picked up on a, a split in their relationship for sure. Yeah. And I, I just, it, it has all the seeds of this is going to be someone's down. It's going to cause someone to die or, or someone to, you know, it's going to be something bad is going to come from this. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. But you're right. I, I do have some quotes on this and all right, good. We want to get back to rap and Kennedy. I mean, we're really focusing on the cooks as we should be, but just listen to how rap and Kennedy are responding to this. If the cooks are the ones setting the tone, it's so funny. Rap and Kennedy usually set the tone of the books, but they're kind of just having to respond to the cooks setting the tone of, of what America means. 
and Kennedy reflects, quote, American democracy is much more delicate than I was willing to admit. I always knew there was a power-hungry ruling class, but I didn't allow myself to see how many people would be willing to kneel in front of it. Maybe freedom just demands too much of the average citizen, too much personal responsibility, too many opportunities for failure. And man, just listen, dude, listen to Rap's response. So this definitely leads us into Kennedy and Rap because if the prologue picked up at the end of Enemy at the Gates, chapter one does as well because Rap and Kennedy were leaving the Nash house and going to go back to his house. So this is the conversation that takes place and it's brilliant. Rap responds, quote, this isn't what I signed on for, Irene. I was happy to defend my country from outside enemies, but it's not my job to defend it against itself. The fact that the American people voted for these pieces of shit isn't my problem. But the fact that Cook sent one of my best friends to kill me is. Dude, when George Goodell delivers that line, the fact that Cook sent one of my best friends to kill me is my problem. It was so good. That line hit so hard. Yeah, as does the line you, you quoted from Irene. She has some zingers in yeah. in this first couple chapters. And then I love that, you know, we're getting what we wanted, right? We're getting Irene outside the establishment. She gets, you know, stripped of her CIA uh, leadership. I love the scene where, like, she's like the... I don't mean I don't love the fact that she got booted from CIA, but it's just it's interesting to see the scene where she has to go back to the CIA. She has a visitor badge, and oh, yeah. you know, veterans are there that are that see her, and like half of them come up and you know say that you know this is fucked up, and the other half just like turn and, and walk away. And you know that this is exactly how it, how it would happen. Hundred percent. The power, pl- the, the petty power play that Hargrave tries to play about making her wait for forty five minutes, and but and the Kindle. it doesn't matter to Irene because she's a badass. She just like someone's like you can't have uh, devices in here, and she just continues reading. She just looks um, at him and keeps reading. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and because all this doesn't matter to her, and she knows in the end she's going to get the upper hand on them because she always does. And we might actually get what we want. She, you know, she's in the end of this four fifteen uh, chapters. She's chilling in uganda like mitch didn't even know that she was in uganda when he arrives right yeah and she's playing hard to get with nicholas ward um but i think she wants the job and i think that's where it's going the chase is on yeah what did you think of the the fact that you know this is the first time we're seeing i guess not the first time we saw irene before she became um cia director but you know now she's out of her element out on resources so it's a new new playing field it is and you mentioned the subtleties before with Catherine and Anthony Cook's conversation. The same thing is going on with Kennedy, and it's hitting on so many beats. When she was reading the book in the Kindle, she was like, most people would assume it's a book about geopolitics or threats against America right. or whatever. And she's like, no, I'm reading a book about a woman who moved to Italy and rebuilt a house or something by the sea. And it's like, that that just really indicates the shift from the Irene we knew when she was operating at her peak. Just the, the fact that she's reading a book, you know, different than that. It's like subverting your expectations in a way that really makes you to think what's next. Yeah, and it, it starts off in like the house, right, with Mitch. She has a couple of glasses of wine. That's a, leads to a couple of funny interact, like you know, quips in at least in Rap's head, oh. and it even leads to her thinking you know, screw it. I'm just going to pretend that Mitch is here and, and live in his, you know, buy him some time for, you know, the food will last for a year. The wine cellar will last for even more the way I, I was taking as the way, how many she drinks a day for yeah. me, the wine would last about a month. Um, <laughs> the whole damn but, cellar, <laughs> all the wine in Manassas. Yeah. She, I don't know. We're seeing a, a new Irene, because she's going to need it, right? She's going to have to out. She's going to be out of her element. She's going to have to figure this out, you know, in in the long run. So yeah, I thought oh, it was interesting how Kyle plays this. Yeah, I love I love the scene at the house, but I equally loved when she's brought in by Cook's people. We'll have to talk about Rap's escape and the real first action scene, but right when Kennedy's brought to the Oval Office, 
makeup running down her face, completely soaked. She's forming a puddle, right, sitting in the Oval Office, which is now not warm at all with carpets and, and wood floors. And no whatnot. resolute desk. No resolute desk. Yeah, it's all industrial and, and modern, modern, efficient. Yeah. And here she is, you know, like literally making a puddle on the floor. And, oh, she has another line there. Talk about all this. This is great writing from Kyle. She says something like, you know, Mitch wouldn't tell me what his escape plan is. You know, I wouldn't be read into that. And Cook's like, but you trained him. And she's like, no, Stan Hurley trained him. And Mitch, since he was the best at what he did, he would have plans that I don't even know about. And, you know, aliases that I'm not even privy to. And Cook, Cook presses her, but eventually she says something like, well, just in case I was taken under duress and I was interrogated, he wouldn't want me to know where I was. And she was taken under duress. So she's playing hardball with Cook just by saying, you know, an if statement. Well, if I were taken, Mitch wouldn't want me to know where he is because I'd crack under the pressure. And she's literally sitting there under the pressure. And she just plays these mind games in such a good conversationalist and and so damn savvy and smart yeah and just to piggyback off your your quote i I have a a quote this is the first time maybe i'm bringing a quote do we have right now the same the book open to the exact same page what page are you on i I think we do what page Uh, page 39 Um, oh my god i literally just opened to the exact same quote i know it i know it i know it chris give it to me i gotta hear this this is how good I, i have to say for the first, you know, hundred and what thirty pages or so, Kyle's writing is on point. Oh yeah. Kennedy opened the door and passed into the outer office like she had on so many occasions before. This time, though, would be likely her last. Her life of service, the battles she'd fought, and the people she'd saved, the sacrifices made by her and her team—it had all come to nothing more than a muddy puddle in front of the president's desk. Dude. I had the same page open at the exact same moment. (laughs) Uh, That's funny. All right, so I'm going to say it. All these things we're talking about, this is, and this would be our clickbait title. You know, know, like when you watch a YouTube channel, they have those very clickbaity thumbnail images that have like a really engaging question on it that's like, oh my God, I have to watch this. And I stand by this, but our, our clickbait title would be, this is Kyle's best ever dialogue and character writing best i've ever seen from him in this series and the few others that i've read by him i honestly have to say i've only read the first third of this book so i'm not going to comment on the whole book but the first third of this book is kyle's best character development most engaging dialogue that i've ever seen hands down period well, we have a lot to work with. Um, I think the book, you know, unlike Enemy, which had to set up, you know, this idea of this, you know, researchers in Uganda and then the kidnapping and even like a lot of other books that have to take the time to set up, you know, we're, we don't even start with Mitch or, you know, we're starting with the B plot or what eventually will become the A plot, but at the moment is the B plot, right? Because this book is, you know, again, like we said at the top, if spoiler warnings for this book but also for enemy of the gates because this book is different in that it starts with a a chapter from the previous book just from an alternative perspective and kyle said he was going to do this and so i went back and i i read both i read the chapters in enemy and i read the chapters in here and i thought it was interesting because it gave him a chance to sort of add a little bit more detail a little bit more nuance we got a couple more phrases from mike his speech had a little bit more added to it Mm -hmm. and obviously we're getting you know mitch's thought process right through the whole time right and we're just able to jump right into the story and we don't we're not we don't get bogged down by you know what eventually will become a decent story you know but it's just it from the hook, you're 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 hooked in. You want to know. You yeah. you're propelled even faster. I I don't want to throw shade, but I think that's why I'm I absolutely love the start to this book because both Enemy and Total Power opened like you're saying these cold opens with people I don't even know. This guy driving through Africa, the scientist, 
and then total power sonia you know who i ended up right. liking as a character meeting the the guy up in the cabin even if if i think back lethal agent might have opened with the the scientists in the village which i liked a lot but again it's not bringing me into a mitch rap book and this one right out the gates is a mitch rap book par excellence like exactly what i want and We've always said Vince was at his strongest when he did these two book arcs and these kind of long stories. Some of his books back to back were essentially one long story. And I'm absolutely thrilled that this one is doing that. Particularly with Total Power, felt it was a little isolated. It stood a little too much on its own. I mean, just think like Sonya hasn't been mentioned with Scott. Like I, we were, some of us were looking forward to that. What's going to come of it? You know, we're kind of leaving things in the past. Yet this one, is not only pulling on strings from Enemy at the Gates, I thought it was brilliant. And I, I hope it happens before Chapter 15. I don't want to spoil much, but Christine Barnett is name-dropped twice. Yeah, no, definitely. Mm -hmm. And what happened with her, with Mitch, lethal agent spoiler, right? In the epilogue, Mitch forcing her to take the pills and, and basically commit suicide before he has to expose what she's done. And the cooks pick up on that and are like, she was the front runner in an election, a clear landslide in Shuin. She's not yeah, just going like to off points. herself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 like Mitch and Irene were up to some shady ass shit. And that is what gets him to spiral out of control. Where Catherine says, yeah, but we can handle that now. We're in the White House. We can take that on. But Anthony responds to that by saying, no, he, he screwed up her life when she was legit about to become president. He's got some street cred. Like he's got the power to infiltrate. And we're not safe anywhere. All because Christine Barnett in the epilogue like four books ago died, and I buy it, and I completely buy it. So these connections are – I'm here for it, and I'm loving it, and this is the kind of writing I I think Kyle thrives in. I also think that like pulling on these connections early on in the story engage us, whereas typically like you know some, some sort of drop like that will come later on, you know, and e even right before we're about to cut off. Right before I stopped reading, we had a whole section where Rap calls up a previous contact that yes. we met back in Lethal Agent. It was a very quick chapter. This guy wanted to hire him. He wanted to hire Irene. Essentially, like, and they go to describe him in this book as the Latin American version of Nicholas Ward, right? Yes. So, you know, calling back to Lethal Agent, calling back to Total Power, right, for Christine Barnett. Or was she Lethal Agent? Lethal Agent. Although yeah. Total so Power guess... is called when one of the cooks says something like, I think it was Anthony Cook as president in a press conference. He was caught on a hot mic or whatever saying there would be no America without Mitch Rapp because of the blackout. Like the current president is on record saying Mitch Rapp saved America, you know, which is not something he would want to stand by now that he's his enemy, but there is record saying it. So yeah, even Total Power. That, that one though was like a – a name drop, if you will. It kind of didn't inform right. much, but the lethal agent stuff is really informing the plot, and I and I love that. And I also like the fact that well, we sort of knew this going in, reading the uh, the tagline or, or whatever description we got about the book. But we knew that Claudia's past was going to come up. Yes, and so we're building upon you know a quintessential part of the story we've liked the entire time, right? What's the root of consent to kill? It's Claudia and Louis Gould. What's the root of you know, when Stan Hurley dies in, what book is that? Um, oh, uh, Kyle's first, The Survivor. The Survivor. It's Louis Gold and Claudia, right? That's mentioned too. Yes. So we're we're bringing back all these things that we know and love from the story, and they're weaving it in very well. Or no, they, but he is weaving it in very well. So I have to ask you, having Mike kill himself in the last book, very divisive, what did you think? We mentioned that, obviously, I know you like, like I did, the fact that we dive right back into it. Were you surprised that this happened? Well, I guess he said he was going to do this. But if he hadn't said he was going to do this, would I would have thought, you know, like any other book, you would get something completely different. Maybe we would come back and, 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 and touch on this in a different way. I guess just tell me what you thought about, well, you know, opening it the way he chose to. I think maybe trying to interpret your question a slightly different way. When there's controversy, I feel like, and I know nothing about the inside of the publishing, you know, offices and the discussions that are had, 
but I feel like there would be an attempt or pressure to walk back, to in some way sure. say, oh, you know, not all the fans, but a sizable portion of them didn't like this thing. Some of them were very vocal about it. I think I think the jury's still out if it was the minority or majority of fans that didn't like Mike dying. Like it might have been a very high number of fans who who were against that. But I, I think and I'm really glad and proud that Kyle had the cojones to say, no, there's a story here. I'm not gonna course correct or do anything different because I'm gonna tell the story as it would play out. And I'm really glad I don't get the sense that he or anybody else asked him to kind of consider the controversy and tone it down about Mike Nash. No, I, instead he confronted it. Like almost double downs. Yeah. He doubled down. And one of my favorite ways he does that, again, very subtle. And why I'm putting this up for contention of Kyle's best written dialogue. Both Kennedy and Cook want to know, did Mike really kill himself? Right. And the way it's established that Kennedy buys Mitch's explanation and Kennedy even double checks. She says something like, I know he got himself in a tight spot. Is that just like, you know, kind of a, a backhanded way of saying you actually killed him? Like he... he I think it was like he dug his own grave. Was he dug right. his own grave? You saying you had to kill him? And he's like, no, he literally put the gun under his chin and pulled the trigger. The cooks put him in that position. And then Kennedy later on says he also made that choice of his own free will. So when Cook wants to know, hey, Mitch probably killed him, right? Kennedy's like, hey, he had free will in this. You told him to get a document. That was fine. He just did his job. You eventually told him more about your plot and sent him to Africa to kill us or kill Mitch, and he chose to do that. So Kennedy is both giving Mike agency in that, yeah, he was that traitor to his friend. He was willing to, if not kill him, because Mike does say, I was going to let Mitch go if he struck a deal with me. Like, Mike did say in the jungle scene he was willing to, if he said, if you rap, just get out of the country, I'm willing to let you go. And I think he might have been honest about that, but under very strict circumstances. So Kennedy is saying Mike made the choice to go after his friends and turn on us, and he's culpable in that. But she also knows Cook put him in an impossible situation. So I I think it's dealt with, and I'm glad it's brought up, and I'm glad it's grappled with, and I really like how Mitch has to tell Kennedy what really happened, and then Kennedy has to tell Cook what really happened. And the whole time, they're all completely honest. In fact, Kennedy is so honest. She even says – when Cook says, like, you're going to come after me now and, and you and Mitch are going to use all your resources to come get me, she literally says, I have no interest in that. I in no way want to make an enemy of you because you'll win every time. And then Kyle writes, that might have been the truest thing she's ever said as CIA director. So Kennedy's brutal honesty here, I think, is refreshing. It's in character. The way she talks to both Mitch and, and Anthony Cook is is awesome. It's honest. It's brutal. Yet, even though they're being honest, they they still don't trust Kennedy. And I think even later, there's a conversation between Hargrave and Kennedy who says, "There's no way Mike Mike Nash killed himself. Uh, Rap definitely killed him." It's because Hargrave's a weasel. Yeah, fucking weasel. Right. Well, also, um, I don't know if it's I can't I can't really remember if it's Kennedy or if it's Catherine who says. Mitch dying would be the worst thing to happen for Hargrave because yes, that's the thing that he has to control her husband. Um, yes, exactly. The fact that he keeps, you know, weaseling his way out allows him to stay in powder or that's have Catherine that much that much longer. Yeah, definitely. Catherine. It's got to be. She's so smart. Yes, and she knows what's going on. Yeah. Just to your point about um, sort of doubling down or, or confronting it, I I, I agree. I, I think it's like all right, we you did the thing let's we we can't just push it aside it's it's a major event so it's gonna have it makes sense that it opens up this book and it's gonna directly influence you know the beginning of this book i think like just as an example from the past you know mike nash sort of went he was sort of uh in extreme measures was going to be i feel like you know this is all speculation we have no idea what vince was was going to do but it was an idea that maybe Mike was going to become a more influential character, and then all of a sudden he wasn't. Whether or not that Mitch uh, Vince got feedback, or 
he just didn't want to have it anymore. So like there's, we've seen instances where things have sort of what we thought it was going one way, but then it, it has a course correction here. We do not have that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm digging how this book opened, you know, we're, we're seeing, a, again, we saw it in uh, enemy, but this, uh, you know, Mitch is a father, uh, we're yes. getting, you know, peeling that back a little bit more. We're getting more interactions with Anna. I, I would love to see like a sort of, uh, you know, him taking her under a wing and having, maybe not turning her into a commando, but just, you know, teaching her a little bit more facts of life type thing. Well, it's hard for him. And again, the subtleties here. Do you remember when she wanted to go bike riding the whole time? And so he's definitely training her in that regard. She has this complete enthusiasm for that. But after the attack at the South Africa house, I, I don't know if they're on the helicopter. No, I think they're already back in Africa because she says mommy's cooking breakfast. And Mitch is struggling so hard how to talk to her. Yeah, but it's easy for Scott. Yeah, and it's easy for Scott. Right. Mitch is fumbling over his words, which I think puts him in that father figure scenario, right? Of like when you're the actual one, it's there's got to be so much pressure. Like, how do you respond? How do you talk to them? But then Scott, who's more of this like uncle character, he's kind of detached, right. and it's just his personality. He comes right in and says the exact right thing to comfort her about the dogs. Like, oh, no, the dogs died protecting you, and there's no better way they could have wanted to go than doing that because they loved you so much. And Mitch fumbled so hard to try to try to say that and express that because he's so nervous about being her father figure. Yeah. Oh, and he sees a curl on Anna's lips that reminds him of Louis Gould. Yeah. That was deep. That, these little these little touches, these little touches. So deep. What did you think of the dogs? Oh, Aisha and Jambo. Have we I don't think we've had their names before, have we? No, I don't think so, I know. Well, Mitch I, doesn't gonna... like dogs though, right? Like he not not no. a huge dog person. And he's always been warming up to these two. They usually want to try to bite his head off, you know, as soon as he pulls up. But not here. They they were a little warmer with him, even when he's hugging Anna before the dogs arrive. But I was a little nervous as soon as Kyle gave us their names. I should and Jumbo, mm. by the way, they're in South Africa. Uh, Swahili. Jumbo means hello in Swahili, even though that would be more East Africa. But when when he gave us the names of the dogs, I was like, oh shit! I knew they were gonna die. I knew they were gonna die. I was like, once you get attached and you start building this connection to the dogs, a la knowing their names, I was like, oh, no, please, 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 please. But I knew it. I I knew in my heart they were going to die very soon, and it happened. All right, let's uh, – I guess let's talk about the action. We had we had two pretty intense sections, the first one being, you know, we picked up with Rap in the forest, gets Mike. I guess before we get into that, I had a question for you. We didn't. I don't know if we talked about this during our enemy pod. Do you think Rap would have let Mike live? He said he was going to. Yeah, yeah. But we do you think he would have let him live? I, I, I think it was very clear, and I took him at his word that he was going to. It was. It could have been up to Kennedy if he survived sure. the jungle. If he got himself out, he would be a ragged mess, nowhere else to go. And he'd have to show up at the CIA, you know, reporting for duty, just a haggard mess. So I think Mitch was honest in that he'd let him live knowing he'd probably never go back to the cooks. He wouldn't double down on what he did. He would go to Kennedy because Rap even said, you could have gone to Irene. Why didn't you go to Irene? Why didn't you tell her? You know, you had suspicions about the cooks. So I think Mitch would have wanted to let him live to give him that second chance, that opportunity to come clean. I, I And then I think the fact that he tries to stop him, you know, Mike, no, and he, he doesn't want him to, to kill himself, I think proves that. Right, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I just had agree? to bring that back up. I know I do agree. I, I think so, too. We, I, I do remember we had a good discussion about that on our enemy pod. It happened so long ago, I can't remember. True, 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 true. <laughs> And I'm all hopped up on these uh, anti-cold drugs. You sounded good, though. You you are powering uh, through the podcast with your, what, fourth bout of COVID? Uh, it's not, uh, well, unless all the COVID tests are wrong, it's not COVID this time. But yeah, we were supposed to record a couple of days earlier, and I like couldn't couldn't speak. So luckily, if, if I 
sound a little bit different today is because I'm a, a little under the weather, but I'm here for you guys. I'm doing it for the pod. Nothing can stop the doctor of the pod. Yes. Dr. Furman. Dude, the action, though, I you are right. The fact that we could go nearly an hour, 40, whatever minutes, and not even care about the action, I think just shows my point about this being Kyle's best dialogue and, and character writing You know, is true. But I am not going to belittle the two incredible action scenes that open this book when he's got to escape both of his houses. It's essentially escape yeah, from essentially. house one, house two. Which one did you think was cooler? We'll, we'll we'll dig into them, but did you think it was cooler him going through the pipe and living in the tunnel? Or the fact that he had Claudia on the comms and used his house essentially as the battlefield it was meant to be in South Africa? Well, I think they showed sort of both aspects of Rap and his tactical abilities, um, the like, different aspects of it. Because in the first one, right, he doesn't kill anybody. We, we're just seeing his... His master his masterful skill, the fact that you know he built this fortress. He he knows it like the back of his hand. He built like the, purposely built this uh, pool drain tube to fit a man to slide out, and then built this other giant tube in the ground to you know with with a stash of stuff to hold out for a couple of days minus a latrine, which <laughs> oh, was a mistake. And Claudia's first question. For him, did you ever get around to uh, building that latrine? Right, but then in the second one, we get almost like a John Wicky kind of, you know, execution of these uh, Guatemalan Guatemalan gangsters, and I liked like we're getting it was such like staccato um, mm-hmm. writing of Claudia's voice in his head, you know, yep. giving him, and I could just imagine him going through and like if we were watching it either, you know on a movie or TV show, like him going through and she's doing the voiceover and he's not talking at all. Right. Um, just reacting. I don't he's know. Just acting, just reacting. I, or, you know, giving these imperceptible or like uh silent agreements or nods that she could see over the video camera. I, I was digging that a lot. I, I really liked the, you know, the South African house attack. Let me ask you that house, that attack, he kills 10 guys. This time he's got Claudia's help and dogs. What did it remind you of? What scene? Killing guys at a house, moving about, moving throughout the house. Oh, it reminds me of the other time he was he was in Consent to Kill, right? In Consent to Kill, yes. Remember that, that uh, safe the gangbangers that that come to the house, the safe house yeah. in like Loudoun County, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. dude. Definitely. Now, there's there's he's drawn parallels to these other books in the series, and it's like if you if you catch them, there are these little nuggets that you know just add to the to the book. There's so many in there. Like, even so far, we found that's a consent to kill connection. We talked lethal agent. Total power was mentioned in brief. I think there's a few others if we really sit down and and say, oh, 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 I'm so excited. It's coming. I read a few chapters further than you. There's a really, really clever Red War connection. It's not much, but it's really clever. So I'm going to leave it at that. But folks who read beyond chapter 15... In the Guatemala stuff, you'll know what I'm talking about, but it was it was really clever. So yeah, we've got at least four or five books alluded to in a way that's not just cheap fan service. Like, oh, remember that thing happened that you really liked? I'm going to mention it just so it seems cool. No, like, and I said this on one of our other pods. It might have been on Thriller Podcast. Oh, it was definitely Brad Thor. Something I didn't like about it, I think it was Takedown or one of those, or Blowback, when you reference an earlier scene or you recreate it, like when Brad Thor recreated the Lions of Lucerne scene, climbing up the, you know, the icy cliffs in Switzerland to get to the church at the top. I don't like when you recreate a scene that's so close to one that you did really well or has done really well earlier in the series, but your rehashing of it is just flat. If you're going to resurrect an old scene or at least call, make a call back to it, you really have to nail it. And to me, rap maneuvering through a house to kill 10 plus guys, like like Vince wrote in Consent to Kill, I think this honestly is up there. I think it might as well right. just be on par. And even with what Vince was able to have Mitch do in the Virginia house, that he's able to have Mitch and Claudia do here in the South Africa house. Like, to raise to that level is just incredible, and and to me, Kyle pulls it off here. 
Yeah, and uh, you know, I think it highlights their relationship, their partnership. Yes. You know, he even says in the ensuing chapters after that that, you know, because we find out that these guys are for her, not for him. Right. That, you know, while she didn't pull the trigger, she was a very capable operative. And then when she found herself without an operative, you know, he was the perfect man to take the place. So they they are, you know, two peas in a pod. That does a lot for the story. That is a really significant moment. It's a watershed moment because... Would you say that's been the biggest friction between them? Is Mitch feeling responsible for her and Anna's safety and that his past can hurt them? I, but, but at the same time, Claudia has tried to convince him that's not true because my past can haunt me too and we need each other. You know, whoever from your past comes after us is not just your past. It's, it's both right. our pasts. Our so past. it's both of yeah. our destinies. And Mitch never gets it. He's so thick-headed. I feel like this, when Claudia points out, and she's so upset, points out, this wasn't your fault, it's it's my fault, I think they're able to connect on a much more deeper level that is going to cement their relationship, when in the before this, it could have been something that drove them apart, the way Mitch couldn't handle those conversations. Yeah, I think, if if anything, this is bringing them to get closer together as a family, as a unit, Mitch understanding that, you know... Not everyone out there is to kill him, and that yes, th- like you said, they work better together than apart. Yeah, uh, and they I have think, to. Yeah, he multiple times before that he thinks about just you know not going back to South Africa, just running away right. and living a you know a pretty sad the way he describes it as <laughs> a pretty sad existence, right? Um, although he says I'd have to go gain like what forty pounds and just end up drinking on a golf course. I wouldn't Drink mind that, but. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Although when when you're used to you know running, what what is he when he's riding the bike? He gets up to like 190 beats per minute. It was oh heart yeah, rate. heart rate. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And he says uh, that's yeah, gonna kill no. him. <laughs> All yeah. this isn't gonna kill him, but some you know like 30, some like 20 year old kid on a bike racing him up a hill on a simulator. He's just gonna pass out in his house. <laughs> gonna be the one to take out Mitch Rab. Can you yeah. imagine if Kyle did that? Kyle just has Mitch fall off the simulator, just die of a heart attack, and the series is over. <laughs> Mitrab dies on Peloton. It's like uh, that one episode of the new uh, Oh, Sex, oh, in, Sex the City. in the City. <laughs> yeah. There was Don't ask me dies why I on Peloton. That. I just remember it was a big thing and like Peloton stock like dropped after the episode aired. That's how I knew about it. Exactly. I saw it drop in the stock market. I was like, what? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. That would that'd be hilarious. That would be a good like uh, April Fool's joke release like a segment of the next book and it's just Mitch dying in something so stupid. <laughs> Slips and falls in the bathtub on some soap. Have George Goodell read it. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so where do you think this is going? Like, obviously, we know immediately it's going to Guatemala, but uh, can you can you tell, like, you know, what's going to happen? Like, Yeah, that's, that's why I, I texted you this idea to stop reading so that the first third of the book isn't colored by what comes later. I'm not going to say much, but I've, I've heard mixed reviews on the, the second half of the book. So I didn't want to know any of that. I just wanted to talk about what I've read so far. But yeah, I mean, we're definitely going after this drug lord, gangster, gangbanger from Guatemala. And I think one connection we're missing here just to establish is this was a – the whole hit in South Africa was a dirty, dirty, dirty trick by Darren Hargraves. Right. I mean, absolute, absolute weasel, like I said before. He convinces the cooks, and I think Catherine's actually on board with it because it actually it makes sense if you want to get your enemy. Dig up some dirt on Claudia, have a third party, you know, not related to the cook rap intrigue, but a third outside party, an external force, come in with overwhelming firepower and make it look like rap died, you know, protecting Claudia because then Cook is off the hook. He he didn't publicly, it, it won't look like to Kennedy and others that he went back on his commitment or to Scott Coleman. He, you know, he, he could wash his hands of it. And it's all Darren Hargraves connecting to this Gustavo Marroqui. And I just, I'm, I'm hating this guy between the cultish thing that he has for Anthony Cook photos of them in their office. And it's only the two of them, you know, not yeah, shaking hands super, with any other dignitaries. Super weird. Yeah, like, it's just, he, he, it's 
it's a recipe for disaster, yet when you are so paranoid as Anthony Cook, you see it as a you know, symbiotic relationship, or you see, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. When Catherine's trying to tell him, this is bad news, he's only driving you deeper into this hole. And Cook is like, yeah, well, he just wants to love me. He even says he, he loves me, you know. Yeah. Anthony admits to that, and he's going to use that, what he thinks is to his advantage, but I, I, we all know it's just going to drive him deeper into getting Mitch turned against him. Yeah, I'm interested to see how the dynamic between uh, Catherine and Anthony plays out, and who ultimately is going to win, or is 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 there going to be a winner, or is there going to be uh, some sort of truce between the two of them going forward? Obviously, you know, what, what struck me as interesting is, you know, Irene and Rab are smart enough to note that, oh, is this too big of a coincidence? We had a truce, and then all of a sudden someone finds out that Claudia Gould is no longer dead, that her enemy finds out that she's alive. And then they quickly like sort of brush it aside. Too coincidental. Um, yeah, and then I, I thought it was a great plan by Hargrave to like you know set this on him as a bonus if if these people were able to succeed. You know, Mitch dies, but if they don't, now Mitch has to deal with this. So it, yeah. it preoccupies him, gets him out of, you know, whether wherever he is, whether he was in South Africa or you know now he's in Uganda, so he's got to go to a new location. And he even mentions that, uh, you know, out of his element. We we know that Mitch, yeah. you know, has worked in Latin America, but it's not like it's not the Middle East, it's not Russia exactly, anymore. and buying time. Cook keeps saying right. we got to buy time to scrub the CIA and military of anyone with allegiance to Rapp and Kennedy, and we got to buy time to beef up the security, the White House security apparatus. So it's a pretty dirty plan, and unfortunately, it, it seems to be working now that Mitch has reason to have to go after some random Guatemalan guy. But Mitch is going to do what he's got to do to protect his family and get a lead on why these people came after him. Yep. Yeah, I was wondering like what we sort of I sort of knew like where it was going, right? We were going to open how we'd opened that there was we kind of knew that there was going to be this truce between the two of them or some sort of interaction between the two of them. And I was wondering what we, what we were going to do. And now we know that there's going to be yeah. these sort of maybe even little side quests that Mitch is going to have to go on, whether it be old enemies of Claudia's that he has to deal with that the cooks bring out of work or, you know, some other operatives that the cooks bring out of works and he has to sort of navigate through that. So how it all unfolds, I don't know yet. We didn't even talk Legion. Like the, the book, the dust jacket description was all about this Legion, this conspiracy that's after Claudia and and a danger to them. And it's like, remember that like double secret contract of like Legion can't fail in killing Claudia or whoever they need to, they can't be called off. Like that was in a oh, lot yeah. of the promo stuff, and it hasn't even happened in the first third of the book. Yeah, a killer known to the intelligence agencies only as Legion. Oh, yeah, we haven't gotten to that at all. No, so there's a whole other storyline that hasn't even developed. There's nothing predictable yeah. in this book. Like we knew, no. we knew so much going into it just based on how Enemy of the Gates ended. Yet we knew nothing about how it would actually shape up. We knew where it would begin, but we didn't know how it would go. Right. Let me ask you, though, you mentioned it, uh, the truce. How did you feel about those couple of chapters where, and I think Mitch was on the phone with Kennedy during one of his bike rides at the house, and he says, I want a truce. I'm going to be the bigger man. Let's extend an olive branch. What did you think about Rapp's call there? to get Kennedy to be his emissary. Well, I think he knows that he's not willing to assassinate the president, at least not at the moment, you know? Right. um, Why? And he knows. Why do you think that? Is it because he knows it's best for America or it's best to protect himself and and Anna? He knows as soon as he does that, even if he's successful, he's a made man and he'll never, Irene even says it. He'll, she even says, I can't believe I'm uttering these words, but even if you wanted to assassinate the president, if you succeed, you know, you'll You're done. not, you'll have an even worse life than if you try to run away and hide, you know, cause he wouldn't be able to, he'd have to hide so, so much 
you know, he wouldn't be able to enjoy any creatures of, you know, any facets of life that he knew. Yeah. Whereas, like, running away now, before assassinating him, he, you know, he, like you said, he could just change his appearance, you know, crawl away somewhere, not just, he, he couldn't take any ops, he couldn't do any triathlons, uh, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, I also think that he knows that the cooks are, are very dangerous and probably the most dangerous politicians he's ever dealt with. Um, they're obviously not above bringing his best friend in to kill him. And, you know, they have access to stealth bombers. So, yeah. Do do you think, do you like this idea of, and maybe it's rap maturing. I, I definitely think has to do with a level of maturity, um, that he's able to say justice, retribution, the the characteristics that my whole life is my values, right? My whole life is all my values come back to justice, retribution. And the fact that he's able to say, I can delay that. I don't want to say walk back from it, but like it's almost a delayed sense of justice. He's like, I the cooks are going to get what's coming to them. Sooner or later, but in this in this conflict as it's shaping up, it has to be later. It kind of allows him to be the bigger man. It's almost a maturity that he's growing into, and I think this is in line with Mitch's character arc Kyle's been building the last few books. Some people saw it as a domestic rap, and I know <laughs> Kyle and others have said that it's probably not the best thing that fans want to hear. I've personally really enjoyed it. But I think this is the reveal that it never was a domestic rap. It's a mature rap who sees justice as maybe long term now or realizes it's not going to happen here and now. You know, it's like the battlefield, right? If you have a tactical advantage, use it. But when you don't have a tactical advantage, plan for one, you know, get ready for to set the the chess pieces, to set the chessboard up so that you do get that tactical advantage even if you don't have it now. It's it's like this very mature sense of delayed justice. That's the best way I can explain it. And I think that's right for where rap is at and where the, where the country's at. Yeah, and I think, you know, we're not talking about Mitch Rap in American Assassin. We're talking about Mitch no. Rap in right. Oath, of Lo- Oath of Loyalty, you know? Right. And I think it's been, it's been the seed that even Vince was playing all the way back to when he started dating Anna, you know? Yes, yes. You know, so I, I think it makes sense that he would grow, he would learn, he would obviously he enjoys this life that he's created with Claudia and Anna. So maybe if he was still single and yeah, it was just himself. He also he has to think about Irene and Scott and Coleman. Like everything he does is going to affect those people, right? Right. So right, even if they're not involved, they're going to be suspects. So. Yeah. And you mentioned he's not stupid, and I I just found the cl- the quote I was looking for when he's mulling over his options before he ultimately asks Kennedy to broker the truce. He's thinking like, what could happen? He says, "quote Cook would assume they were in a death match. In one corner, the president of the U.S., backed by the military, homeland security, and virtually every intelligence agency on the planet. In the other corner, Mitch Rapp and his Glock 19. Winner take all." Like, that was the young Mitch Rapp, winner take all, and his Glock was going to win every single time. But that's when he was the government. He was the American military. He was Homeland Security. Mitch Rapp, his Glock 19, winner take all, is not against – now it's against the U.S. military. It's against the president. And, you know, the battlefield has changed, and he's realizing that. I think it also highlights, like, the – we brought this up a couple of times, but the idea of what makes I, uh, Mitch different from Louis Gould, you know, ultimately they're, they're very similar people, but there's like one thing that makes them different or not, not one thing, but like a couple of things that make them truly different. And this is one of those things, like one of the yeah. major things, the fact that Louis would have been stupid enough and he was stupid enough in the, in the end to not walk away, to want to go after rap, right. To think that he could take rap. Um, but Mitch knows when, at least now he knows when to uh, back down and take that yeah. choose. And it's not back down in a weak sense. It's back down in a, 
realistic strategic. sense with strategic. a strategic. Right, right, right. Yes, for a strategic advantage. Agreed. Yeah, I he's playing it. chess. Exactly, exactly. And the Cooks are pretty good at playing chess, but he and Kennedy, I think, are just playing a slower, more methodical version of it. And right now they realize they've got to be on the back foot. Yep. couple of questions for you, and we've never really done this, but I think we're in a unique situation not having finished the book, so we have no <laughs> idea how this book ends. I, I want to play um, – I, I want to do some – what would you call it? I want to read the tea leaves here for a moment. I want to get your feeling because I can't answer these questions myself, so I want to hear from you. First one, does rap kill Anthony Cook? Ooh. I'm going to say not in this book. That was my next question. If he does, is it in this book or is it in the future? It's not in this uh, book. I don't think so. N- I agree. Not in this book. No. We know it's a three-book arc, so unless Anthony dies this book, and then he has to contend with Catherine in the next one. But I just have this feeling that, you know, we might have some conclusion with the Cooks at the end of this book, but they're not not—they're not just going to slink away. They're coming back. So you know, it, it, mm-hmm. whatever happens, you know. Yep. That was my next question. Does Catherine Cook become president? And if so... Mm-hmm. Is it after eight years of an Anthony Cook presidency, or is it under more dire circumstances sooner than that? I want to say sooner than that. I think so, too. I I have this feeling that, you know, either he has to step down or something, or, you know, or if in the the next book he dies, like, she she immediately takes takes the helm. I I, I feel like she's she's gotten it for it quicker than, than eight years. Yeah. And I guess my last Especially question we'd have is, to wait. We'd have to wait like uh, how many more books because <laughs> we're right. at the rate we're going, right? Uh, right. We're spending a couple books per year. So here's my next one. And this might be, I, I, to me, I, I think it's the most important of all these questions. Are the cooks the big bads? They're very clearly. You know how we used to in earlier Mitch Rap Pod episodes talk about the big bad versus the secondary villains? I think the Cooks are very clearly established as a big bad, a multi-book big bad up there with who are some of the big bads we've liked from the past? Like um, Hank Clark. Hank Clark. Yeah. Hank Clark, Louis Gould. So are they the big bad for one more book, two more books, three more books? Are they a permanent big bad or are they uh, – it's going to be wrapped up in – this book or the next, you know, we move on and it's a post cook era. I think more likely the, the latter than, than the former. I think, I think we're going to wrap them up either. I don't, I don't think we're done with them in this book, but I think we're going to come to some conclusion with them in this book. And then it's going to come to a bigger head in, in the next one. Yeah. Okay. Be- the reason I thought of that one is because we really haven't had a lot of presidents over all the Mitch Rapp years. Like term limits right. had their own guy, you know, what was it, uh, Stevens? But then Mitch Rapp really has only worked for two presidents, Hayes and Alexander. So right. we did get a long term, you know, an entire presidency. Mitch Rapp is doing a whole lot. It would make sense. The cooks stick around a long time, right? Hayes probably had four or five books. Alexander, you know, 15 books, whatever. Like it would make sense if they stick around, right? Like. That's what the series has established. Yeah, but I think, I think Kyle has a plan for them that is not long term. Because you you couldn't, unless, yeah, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see them just stay there because they're not going to. Mitch is not going to become friends with them, so it's not like he's ever working with them, working for them. So there will come a day where. At least Mitch, maybe Irene are back in the good graces of the government, probably under a favorable president. The country, you know, kind of sees their view of things instead of being duped by an autocrat like like Anthony Cook. You think we do see that day again in the Mitch Rep series? This yeah, is kind I think of, so. This is kind of like an anomaly, what they're going through right now. Yeah. Okay. I would agree with that. All right. There's some long-term predictions from No Limits. Hold us to it. A couple of books from now. Listen to to this. A few years in the past and uh, tell us we're complete idiots because we are. Or uh, let me speak for one half. 
the podcast has one complete idiot, and he's speaking. <laughs> what, you read chapter 19? What, chapter 20? And then Cook's going to get assassinated. <laughs> <laughs> the Cooks just die in chapter 20, and then, you know, uh, who becomes president? Um, Hargrave somehow Bruno becomes McGraw. president. Bruno McGraw yeah. becomes president. <laughs> Wait, is he alive? He is, right? <laughs> no, the pilot. The pilot Fred. <laughs> Fred, pi- Fred, die, Fred Mason. Fred Mason. <laughs> Fred Mason for president. Oh, my God. I'm making buttons. Fred Mason for president. <laughs> Irene is president. Did you see Secretary Irene being president? State. Secretary of State. I, oh, yeah. okay. If we're reading the tea leaves. Does Irene become president? Does it happen? It might be five books, eight books, two books. Who knows? Does it happen? Yeah, I'm really intrigued to see like the the long term future. I can see that happening. I put it at like thirty percent that it happens. Forty percent that it happens. Okay, I like that. We got the Mitrap odds going on. The Mitrap sport, uh, you know, betting app, sports book over here. <laughs> the polls. Put put it out. Put a poll out. Oh, man. All right. I think we're going off the rails. We've got a lot of Oath of Loyalty to read. Much more coming at you. Hopefully, Chris, I'll try to read it all this week, next couple of days. And by next week, we can have part two out to you guys. Oh, and and yes. our talk with Kyle is next week. So we got to finish the book. Yes. Yes, yes. All right, guys. Uh, we got to thank our patrons including our special operator, Sherry App, our special agents, Daryl, Kevin, George, Matt, Don, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, Jeff, and Mark. Please subscribe using your favorite podcasting platform. You can find us at thrillerpod.com or on Twitter and Insta at thrillerpodcast. And as always, just let Mitch be Mitch. Mitch.